Don't Shoot the Deputies. Hi, and welcome to the first edition of a brand new podcast called Don't Shoot the Deputies, run by two primary deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. My name's Russell, and my co-host is my close friend and former colleague, Steve. Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us for our first podcast. So before we launch into our first ever topic, we thought it'd make sense to give you a bit of background about us and how this whole podcast thing came about. So Steve, do you want to say a bit about your career path so far? Because you didn't go straight into education, did you? No, I didn't. No, I didn't at all, Russell. I went to university to study law. I did a three-year law degree. Having enjoyed that, I then went on to do my legal practice course and become a fully-fledged solicitor. We've been a law firm for criminal and family law. It was only when I decided that I was going to take a year out of sabbatical to tour the world and eventually went to Melbourne, Australia, stayed there for a long time and then carried on within the legal field. But my mother was always heavily involved in education. So I felt like when I came back, I'd always wanted to be both a teacher and a lawyer. And I decided Mm. to take the PGCE. So I attended Canterbury Christchurch University, did that for a year and then got my first teaching job. I eventually worked my way up within the structure. I've only ever been at one school. I still am there. I've gone from NQT to looking at a coordinator role within ICT before taking on to middle leadership responsibility in a lovely team of three, which featured yourself. Then worked up to assistant head teacher and my current position of deputy head, which I've been for the last three years. How about you, Russell? Because I know you're slightly different to me. You went down the teaching route knowing what you wanted to do as your passion. Mm. Yeah, really different. I'm nowhere near as interesting a grown-up as you. You travelled the world <laughs> and did all sorts of interesting things before settling into teaching. So, yeah, I did an English literature degree. I met my wife at uni, and she was kind of the person that kind of gave me the kick up the bum that said, come on, what are you going to do with your life? And it happened to be that while at uni, I'd been doing a bit of youth work and things. So I knew I liked working with young people. And she just kind of organized me really and said, come on, you need to do something about this if you're going to get into teaching. So I got a bit of work experience at my old primary school. And I'll never forget they were doing a, uh, an Egyptian day when I went in. And I just thought, this is really cool. And this is the, the workplace for me. So I got myself onto a PGCE, did a year at Canterbury Christchurch, loved it. We settled back in Kent and took my first job in a really, really tough school at the time in Medway, where I did a few years there and I was really lucky because even though the school was in a really tough time it was in special measures for much of that time I worked alongside a, a crop of just fantastic people a lot of people starting their career at the same time that were just super energetic and enthusiastic and I learned a lot there and took on math subject leadership quite early on so after a few years of that I was really ready to go and see another school and that's when I moved to the school that you're at Steve in, in Kent and became math subject leader there and yeah had a great time there and you and I got on really well I developed then into an assistant head I think in my sort of second to third year mm. and then you joined me didn't you and we we kind I of did that, <laughs> we did that alongside each other and that was just <laughs> that was just a really exciting time for me because that was kind of when I first started to really realize how really great things start happening in schools when you're working alongside other people that you are creative with and you bounce ideas off. I couldn't agree more. I think the collaboration between us and uh, then was joined with another middle leader. That was a fantastic opportunity to learn. It was. It was a steep learning curve and I'm sure we made loads of mistakes, but at the same time, we <laughs> we, we were very creative and there were always new things sort of coming along and we, we were innovative during that time. That was really positive and few years into to that role my wife and I decided we wanted to relocate to Devon which made you very sad didn't it Steve I broke your heart it was a difficult time but we um we we did move down to Devon we've got two daughters and it's just been awesome down here so I took an assistant head role down here in Torquay which 
was really fantastic, really loved it. And I suppose that for me sort of became a bit of a step for me into a deputy head role, which I sort of felt ready for this year. So I've recently moved to a school in Exeter where I am now a deputy. And really, it's funny how this has all come about because you and I have kept in touch over text and stuff and you've come down and visited me down in Devon. But actually, this was a, a really creative idea that sort of came from you, didn't it? Over the summer, you started messaging <clears> me and over saying... the summer months, yeah. I was reflecting yeah. on what new challenge and commitment to learning that we could give. So it kind of, this whole podcast idea, our Twitter handle, Dynamic Depths, this all came out of a chat with me and Steve over text where we just said, wouldn't it be cool to still have a space in which we could talk about education, be creative, learn from one another. We're in the modern age. The fact that we live four hours apart doesn't have to get in the way of us still sort of having these natters. So why not do it all over the internet as well? So that's where we've got to. So this is our first ever podcast. We'll probably make a million mistakes, but we really hope you guys enjoy it. And we're going to start now by going straight into talking about our first topic. And that really came out of a Twitter poll that we put up. And we asked the question, what would people like us to talk about in the first podcast? And we gave the options of well-being, coaching, mentoring, career progression and observations and monitoring. And like by far, so 51% of the vote went to well-being. And I'm just really curious, Steve, as to why you think that was. Why are people so keen to hear and talk about well-being right now? Well, I think teacher well-being, as well as support staff and uh, anyone that works in education at the moment, it's a real focal topic. And it really comes down to the work-life balance that everyone's trying to achieve whilst we're getting told one thing from above in terms of the demands on teaching and the workload. I know Ofsted's recently changed its uh, formula when it comes into analyse our schools. Mm. And that's actually leading to a more increased workload, so some are saying. And I think there needs to be this real recognition that well-being is vital because if the staff are likely to teach better, they need to be looking after their well-being because you need to be able to support the pupils to get the better outcomes. Um, and I know well-being is vital because actually retention rates, particularly in Kent at the moment for myself, I can see it now, retention is incredibly hard. And I think right. it's this uh, lack of well-being that schools are so underachieving really mm. or it's them sticking plasters over and well-being by saying oh we're ticking a box by doing this and this and it's kind of like forced mm. well-being whereas mm. if it was more dynamic and fluid i think we'd see a much higher retention rate i know from being in a kent area uh, well-being is really coming up because we're just outside the london border actually and there's this perception that the dynamics between different borders are actually leading to either increased well-being or so-called decreased well-being. There's a real competition in uh, what schools can offer. Right. And it doesn't simply come down to the pay. It comes down to your enjoyment of the work and the ability to do the work mm. whilst giving all you can, but also accepting that there is life outside of this job. Yeah, I think you've touched on a lot there, Steve, and we're going to come back to a few of those bits as we carry on. And we threw out a poll, didn't we, just to kind of get a bit of a sense of where people felt the pressures of the job come from. And we put that on our Facebook and our Twitter. And it's quite interesting how the, mm. the results came out slightly differently, but there's definitely kind of a divide in the results. So if you go on the Twitter results, we asked, what's your biggest source of kind of pressure in terms of your job? And 46% of teachers chose the option of themselves, which I just thought was really fascinating. Did you? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think it kind of indicated who we are following and who's following us as well mm. in terms of that, um, conscientious nature of people mm. who are, they're educators and they just want to do the very best and it's whether we can 
allow this when the workload is so detrimental to people's well-being yeah and i've got a great quote to share with you in a minute from one of our twitter followers who had a bit of a conversation with us about that and then we had 32 percent on twitter saying it was their head teacher or their deputy 11 percent saying middle leaders those pesky middle leaders and then and then 11 percent sort of choosing other factors such as the government and and one twitter follower spoke to me at length about that aspect and then on facebook i do think partly when you do a poll the order you put things in (laughs) does play a factor (laughs) on facebook when you put the poll up there were like three choices that you couldn't see unless you expanded and they didn't get very many votes so um, yeah. take it with a pinch middle leaders did incredibly well we had zero percent middle leaders yeah. yeah and that was the one you couldn't see when you first went on so i think middle leaders you got off scot-free on that particular <laughs> poll but on the facebook poll heads and deputies get the number one blame and government mm. gets a bit of a bashing doesn't it and and it other factors as well but whether you look at the twitter or the facebook there seems to be this real divide in terms of people that attribute their stress or the pressure they experience to themselves and those that put it to exterior factors and I just think that's really really interesting because we're essentially we're getting a difference between people pointing inwards and outwards and it's not to say that one set of those people are right or wrong but I've experienced a lot of fantastic coaching over the last couple of years Um, and I've been really drawn to some work called the kind of inside out approach which really looks at this distinction between overwhelm and over load so overwhelm is is very much about over, those overwhelming feelings that we know are caused by a result of our kind of our anxious thinking and i, I mentioned that i was going to share a quote from someone we we, we have following us on twitter mm. and she said this as part of a conversation about pressure and stress she said there's a certain type of person who can be drawn to teaching such as myself who is a perfectionist and eager to please Part of my problem with mental health was my desire to be outstanding. I felt I had to do more and to do it better. I'll give a stand ovation for that quote, actually. It's probably something I can relate to quite a lot, actually. When I first left the legal field and I went to teaching, there was this desire to, and a pressure I put myself as an NQT, I want to be the very best I can be because then I know I'm giving the children who are in my classroom the very best education. Mm. And it always comes down to that every child gets one year Mm. per year group to Mm. learn what they can. So if I felt I was uh, fundamentally failing them by not being the very best I can be, Mm. uh, it really worried me. And I I remember thinking, well, looking back now, uh, given I've had quite a varied life, and I say I was in a perfect time, actually. I I was lucky enough to still be living at home so I could dedicate my weekends as such to mm. actually getting the job done. The marking, the marking load was a real burden on me at the time. Wow, yeah. Um, planning every Sunday, doing a interactive whiteboards, looking for resources, PowerPoints, anything mm. I could do to engage these children. And you think, yeah, that served me well at the time, but wellbeing wise is unacceptable in the sense that you could not maintain that. You know, I met you, I think when you, were you in your second year when I, I joined uh, the school? Second year, yeah, yeah, I was indeed. And actually, thinking back, I can see that now completely. You seemed like someone that was really at ease with everything, but actually, you had super high expectations of yourself as a teacher didn't you and we were back in the day of still sort of having lesson gradings and you know (laughs) you you would have settled for nothing but outstanding wouldn't you and that on one side was a wonderful quality but I can see why you can relate to this teacher that we've heard Mm. from because you did have that same really high expectations of yourself and like you say at that stage you were you were living at home perhaps didn't have those other burdens where I was at slightly different point in my life and I was just about to have my second kid wasn't I when I joined the 
join the school. Yeah, and, and, and I also have always wanted to do extremely well. But one thing that happens when you, you, you have a child is you have that moment where you go, well, actually, I, I can't do another 30 books tonight because I've, I've got a baby at home and I actually want to hold them and talk to them. You know, so there's a kind of a forced shift. But it's interesting because I think, do you, do you think people that are perhaps living at home or living on their own or haven't necessarily yet got to a point where they've got lots of those other commitments can actually get themselves into really bad habits because of that extra freedom and time they've got at that stage of their lives, perhaps? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And I, I know for me in particular, that was something I, there become an ex- expectation that if I was not working all weekend, I did not feel I was doing the job correctly. Mm. And yes, it comes down with time management and going through the NQT year. It's a very tough year for anyone listening now. I, I wish you all the best in that. But then you've just got to suddenly, the job does get easier. But mm. at the same point, if you're putting that pressure on yourself to maintain the expectations of, good and outstanding you'll get this constant reinforcement from school being good and outstanding and pushing for the very best there does come this breaking point where you can suddenly think i can't do this so then my well-being is not being met and that's when you really need to talk to somebody yeah and it's interesting isn't it because you know you were describing the the steve in his first year of teaching being super keen you were really fondly thought of by the leaders in the school you were nailing every observation you were doing things right so from their point of view there wouldn't really have been any concerns or warning signs around your well-being because you were you were just being awesome weren't you but do you think that it can be misleading to leaders in a school when you've got energetic committed teachers that are killing themselves working really hard that they can appear like they're coping really well because their lessons are great and their books are fantastic but actually the, the leaders need to be looking a bit more closely at where cracks might be appearing? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I consider uh, to know a lot of my staff personally, as well as mm. they're not just staff members within our organisation. We're a community and we're like a family at school. So it's good to know the people behind the teacher or the school mm. staff. But I do think it's, that's it. The school would never have known that I was working solidly all weekends in the evenings and dedicating everything to the class teacher role at our school at the moment we have a family liaison officer who also acts as a mental well-being uh, ambassador as such okay yeah and that's a person that we can go to and discuss anything with her and she can then pick it up and if she needs to tell senior leadership just be wary this person could be flagging Mm. here because whilst Mm. they're doing a good job you've got no concerns to approach them but you anything happen in life at any moment so it's Mm. really fundamental to know the people within the building because without that you can just take it for granted mm. and they can just keep knocking and knocking, working it incredibly hard. Yeah. But there will be a saturation point where you need to look after these people that mm. are working with you. They're not working mm. for you, they're working with you. Yeah. And therefore, the more we do for wellbeing, I strongly believe that the better results we'll see across education overall. I think there's a lot of points you've covered there. And this idea of overwhelm keeps coming back to my head that, mm. you know, for some of us, we have this ability of stirring ourselves into a frenzy, don't we? And I have to say, I used to be a really anxious person. I didn't become very aware of this until I was coached by some new coaches over the last couple of years that have really got me to reflect on this more of an inside out way of, of thinking about life that actually the way I experience what's going on in front of me is internally you know, we've all got different realities and we, we mm-hmm. sometimes assume that all the other teachers around us experience the stresses and the concerns in the same way, but we don't. We're all, we've all got really unique viewpoints. And for me, I've become aware that I used to have quite 
frequent anxious thinking so even at times where I would have considered myself quite happy in the schools I was in I would be quite anxious on that Sunday night and stuff and I think that's really common and I've had an in various interactions on our Twitter today with teachers particularly early on in their career who are really anxious about going back after half term and when you talk and yeah. and, and you just point out that you know do you know what I used to feel this way you know this is this is really common you can almost see even over a Twitter format then just relaxing going oh yeah you know perhaps I'm just sort of convincing myself that it's going to be bad and it's not and so there's a tendency I think amongst teachers as these kind of perfectionists that this this teacher on our Twitter sort of described yes. themselves as to build things up and and worry sometimes or worry too much about things that they kind of don't need to sometimes what do you think? I agree and I think um, I'm, I'm guilty of the sleepless Sunday night or the first day back into a new term, I, I absolutely know I will not sleep perfectly that night because there is still that anxiety and pressure that you're putting yourself, all right, it's day one of the new term, I want to get it started positively. Go on, Russell. Sorry, no, so I was just going to say, so it's fair to say that sometimes, sometimes but not always, the anxiety yes. and the pressure we feel in our work as teachers is a bit self-inflicted. I feel I feel scared to state that and I always feel scared <laughs> to state that with teachers because I've done various training around this overwhelm overload because what I never want to do is to say to people you're, you're the cause of your own stress but I think it's important no. that we recognize when some of our stress is self-inflicted and some of our stressful thinking is self-inflicted so drawing a distinction between that now and what I'd call overload so overload is about just being expected to do too much it's not about anxious thinking it's not about allowing yourself to wind yourself up and tell yourself stories about things that are going to happen that aren't this is actually you have given me too many things to do in a set amount of time and I am overloaded and that does of course lead to overwhelming feelings again but it's rooted in 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 a fact which is there's just too much on my list I'm just really interested in who is responsible for the overload issue I think it has to come down to the individual schools because the schools can create whatever they they need to do to get the job done. So we can all change a marking policy. We can all look at what needs to be done in the term, whether it's constant. We, if you trust the teachers and the staff and the support staff, you will get better results. And by doing this increased monitoring cycle where it's so intense and it really pushes every week is something new, whether it's, a learning walk, a book scrutiny, uh, data, your pupil progress meetings. There's so much mm. demand there. And I accept it. This also comes from above. It does come from the government in terms of... That's where yeah. I wanted to be devil's advocate, Steve, because there will be head teachers or deputies listening now yes. thinking, I'm God, he's, he's, in, he's in dream world. He's describing this lovely world where we can uh, just do things our way, but they're feeling this real pressure from above. Do you, do you think they can stand up to that and do things differently? Do you think that can work? I think you can, but you need to be in such a place where you can have this a little bit more liberal approach to your school. Because at the end of the day, Russell, the, the buck stops with the leadership team and the head teacher. Well, exactly, yeah. There has to, yes, I would love to say that all schools complicitly trust their staff and their teachers to do the job because they're the people that are in the classroom every day and they know their children the best. But at the end of the day, there is the balance between you need some kind of evidence and you need, you need something for when the knock on the door comes from Ofsted. And it's that pressure that can really, uh, it can really affect the leadership team. But hopefully there's a strong leader in there to be like, I know what we need to do. And yeah. we're going to do it this way. 
If it doesn't work, I think it's always been engaged with your staff and an open dialogue mm. will get the best results, I believe. It's interesting because you mentioned that pressure sometimes from above and from Ofsted. And I think for teachers, I think my experience, Steve, and it was the same when I was class by, I don't mind being monitored. I don't mind people checking that my books are okay and coming to see me teach. As long as the way that is done is in a kind of a culture of support, encouragement and development, isn't it? And in, in fact, I've had teachers say, oh, I quite like it. You know, I think for a lot of teachers, they feel secure in, in having leaders present in their class. What freaks them out is when they never see them and then, and then the head goes off on a course and then comes back <laughs> and they're, in their, and they're <laughs> in their class like seven times in a week. And then there's like, what's going on here? There's going to be some new knee-jerk reaction. I think that's when, when teachers get most anxious, do you reckon? and at the same point Russell is when a fad comes in mm. and you know you just have to get through this term where these fads come in yeah. and it'll go because if you're on a cycle and you've seen it before so I think that's where consistency is so key and I agree with that if you are not monitoring well and you go terms without anything and then suddenly you're plugging it every week and then that's uneasy and that, yeah. that will really unsettle the staff and in that respect I completely get why people would feel overloaded so we've um, got a, we've got a responsibility as leaders haven't we is to be aware of the workload that, that the teachers in our schools are experiencing i really love what you said earlier about they're, they're working with us they're not we're not we're not doing things to them they're alongside us they're they're our colleagues but we need to be conscious on how our decisions are affecting them i mean starting in a new school i've just brought in loads of new things and i'm aware that for some people there will be some anxiety around that but what I've tried really hard to do, and I hope my colleagues would feel um, has come across, is to really get the buy-in of why some of these changes were needed. And I think if people have bought into to change or to an initiative, then then we're okay. We can work with that, even if it's a bit tough, even if it's a bit stressful. It's it's when there are just lots of knee-jerk reactions, like you say, fads that are just exhausting, particularly for an experienced teacher that's seen 101 fads before, perhaps. Yes, and I think it's that when it comes down to well-being. Uh, what I mentioned earlier about sticking a plaster over things, I get mm. it's lovely to have tea and coffee in the staff room, offer perks that no other school can offer. For example, in our own school, we offer private health insurance because that's a way of enti- not enticing but encouraging applications. However, these um these little areas of development, such as uh, having health and fitness club after school, mm. it only works if it's really and truly meant. If it is, uh, it's like compulsory well-being and, and yes, attend this and uh, we'll make you, it's ticking a box really. Isn't That's it? what we really don't want. It's the why, why is that action coming in? So uh, yeah. am I bringing an action in as a, an SLT on wellbeing to address the overwhelm or the overload issue? So for me, I think the most powerful thing that senior leaders can do to address the overwhelm issue of those kind of overwhelming feelings and help people to see where that's coming from is to do some great honest training about overwhelming feelings but that doesn't need to take hours and hours of their time but it's really valuable and it's really good for leaders to be vulnerable and to say do you know what I experience overwhelm I lose all sense of things sometimes and I go up and down in my life and I I make mistakes and I misjudge situations and if as a school we can be a bit more open about when we're we're all up and down then we'll, we'll navigate through life a little bit easier together and I did some training like that at my previous school and I'm hoping to do it at my current school and and one teacher commented at my previous school that was probably the most important training you'll do with us all year so that was one of those nice bits of training when I don't think people came out thinking I could have been marking books during that however if you're trying to address (laughs) the overload issue of giving people too Mm. much work to do by making them attend a yoga class at five o'clock on a Wednesday then they're that's probably not going to go down very well and like you said the sticky class in the other analogy I like it's a bit like 
trying to uh, stop the rain coming into the house by putting a bucket on the floor. You're just trying to mop up the problems rather than actually get to the core of the issue and if overload is 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 the core of the issue you've got to do something about workload haven't you you've got to actually fundamentally change systems well-being needs to come from a genuine place at the end of the day mm. if we're not doing it for a genuine reason uh it's like teaching to the children but not being legitimate about it like why mm. are we doing it what what results do we want we always bang on about we want to see impact we want to see progress all the time yeah yeah, um, yeah. That comes in looking after the staff as well. It's not so much the impacts and progress, but why are we doing it? What would we want? It's uh, ensure that everyone's well-being is met so that we can have the ability to perform like we want to be able to perform, not just to tick off a crib sheet that says, mm. right, we've met well-being. We've, we've had a drink at the end of the term. This, uh, <laughs> we've met well-being. That's not what we're asking for. Yeah. Workload's vital, and if we can crack the workload, Mm. then we're on on a way to helping the battle god and let's face it steve teachers aren't afraid to work hard are they if they know why they're being asked to do something i've met very few teachers <laughs> occasionally come across them but very few teachers <laughs> that aren't willing to really put their the, the work in they just want to know that if they're doing a long day it's for the sake of children and i think if we, if we keep coming back to the fact that what i'm asking you to do is going to benefit a child and I'm giving you a reasonable amount of hours in the day to achieve that, then I think people will come on board. And it, it, it's, it seems very simple when you put it like that, though, doesn't it? <laughs> we, we, we all get it wrong. And I think, you know, I can reflect on my, my time in my previous school when, as a senior team, we sometimes just made mistakes with overload and, and we, we scheduled dates at silly times and put some important learning walks on in the same week as a parent's evening stuff. And that, I think senior teams can just be really conscious of those decisions they make that can just make certain pinch points in the year far harder for teachers if they're not careful. If, if we can wrap up that bit, Steve, I think we've covered a lot yeah. there. And, and it would be nice just to finish by thinking about um, someone on Facebook, uh, Steve put out a post just sort of saying, is there a particular aspect of wellbeing you want us to talk about? And someone sort of mm. said, what about head teachers? Because we've talked a lot about teachers there and clearly that's vital and that's core to our school. But our leaders at the very top of the school it can be a very isolating place i've worked for four heads now and all just fabulous in their own way and with unique skill sets and what i've struck me with all of them is that you realize that they're in quite a lonely position there aren't they they don't have that person just above them i mean they may have governors but it's, it's a really unique position to be in a head mm. teacher isn't it steve and I do remember the head teacher we both worked for, she always said to me, as advice in going to leadership, she said, it's lonely at the top. And it gets mm. lonelier and lonelier as you climb up from your uh, middle leadership to your assistant head, to mm. your deputy, to your head. Mm. And that's why it's so important to have a network around you, even if it's the invisible network that people don't see as in physicality and within the building. Yes. You need someone to be able to turn to through coaching and mentoring, governance, like you said, and having a supportive staff. I think, yeah. yes, we've been talking about how teachers would love a manageable workload. They would love reasonable assessment, marking to be uh, less and feeling mm. trusted. But the same goes for the head teacher. They need to feel trusted by their staff for them to know that they're trying their best at the same time as well. Because yeah. that's, everyone's in there for the same reason. We just want the best for our children. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because I think head teachers clearly are 
the people that most feel those kind of local authority if they're not not academy schools or uh, government or Ofsted pressures don't they 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 feel that and the stakes are just so high for them now it just feels so sort of football manager like you know in terms of if things go right or wrong and I just think that's an immense pressure and I just think head teachers across the country are just amazing for how they kind of manage that Absolutely. I think like you say those that draw upon that support network around them if they're lucky enough to have some really good governors if they're got another head just down the road they can pick up the phone and speak to but I think you're right about the school they're in and there's something there about potentially allowing themselves just to be a tiny bit vulnerable sometimes do you think in in your own school as a head teacher if you want to feel supported and allow others to support you is there a little element there of them needing to admit when they're finding things a bit tricky do you think exactly we're all human at the end of the day so whether you're a head teacher or anyone else in that building we all have sleepless nights uh We'll have family and friends outside of school. There's a lot of factors that when you walk into the building and you become not yourself, but the head teacher, mm. you've got to remember there's a person in there too. And we can all be vulnerable as well. And it's our mental health that we need to balance with our physical health as well, because not everyone can see it. Um, I know a teacher that used to put a plaster across her forehead when she felt poorly. And the children's response was magic. It was so differently if if that's coming from children to adults as adults we should all be able to i think what we're saying is steve we're giving permission to heads around the country to do that aren't we we're saying you are you are you are humans and and your colleagues will not lose that respect to you by showing that little little bit of vulnerability in fact i've always found it incredibly well something very credible about a head that says actually this is tough right now i i'm not i'm not 100 sure what we need to do here i need your help on this would you agree there if you do not talk, Russell, the problems get bigger and bigger and then you have that possible danger of internalising so much mm. that you become a shell of your natural self. So mm. please, anyone in leadership, please talk to someone within your building or have someone you can just confide in to whatever degree you want to do. It's just necessary to have that one person at least that you can just go to and just gnaw their ear for a little while. It'll make you feel so much better. I have no doubt that the happiest workers within education are those that can work solidly together and you're all in the same boat looking for the same thing. Those of you perhaps a bit new to teaching as well who have found yourself a bit locked in your classroom for the first term, get out and talk to your colleagues because they're even if they're 20 years into teaching, they still feel the same sort of anxiety and concerns you do. So get out and talk to people. It's healthy. So thank you for listening to our first episode. We hope you can leave us a positive rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're using. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Dynamic Depths and on our Facebook group, Make an Impact Education. Take care, everyone, and have a great week. Bye. Bye. Don't keep the deputy.